2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 23 to 24. Let's read the Word together. This is what the Word of God says. But I call God as witness to my soul, that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but our workers with you for your joy. For in your faith, you are standing firm. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to bless our time. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you. We bless you, Lord, for this word. We thank you for your heart for the church. We thank you that the church, the bride of your Son, is a people that is peculiar, your own special possession, your holy nation, your chosen race, your royal priesthood. And your desire is to make known all of the great mysteries to your saints in the church. And so, Lord, we pray as we study the doctrine of the church, as we spend some time thinking about the local church, and especially as how that relates to our church, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us a heart for the local church, that you would renew our minds with respect to this, that we would think clearly about the doctrine of the church and our philosophy of the church and our view of the church that you would shape and conform our thinking of the local church according to your word, O God. We pray that you would be magnified in the church. And so, Lord, help us now. Give me wisdom and the words to speak and give uh, Pastor Lynn and I, Lord, the wisdom that we need to lead and edify your church for your glory and for the good and for the joy of your people. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus, who is the Lord of the church. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As you can see, we're taking a quick break from the book of Isaiah as we're going expositionally through that book, and we are taking a little bit of a hiatus to focus on... Uh, a few sermons on the local church that I've entitled, maybe you can write this down, or at least make a mental note of it. It's a title that took me a long time to come up with, so I try to capture what I wanted to say about the church, and this is the title of my sermon series. Ready? Go to church. <laughs> took me a long time, as I said, to think of that. No, because I thought, you know, that is the imperative of this series of sermons. This is a series that has been developing and brewing over years of pastoral ministry, not just in recent times, but going all the way back to the very beginning of my pastoral ministry and just thinking about and meditating on the doctrine of the church, the identity of the church, the philosophy of the church, the role of the church, the ministry of the church, and your function in the church, your role in the church and so the way that I want to approach this is threefold. I want to talk about preaching. That's today. I want to talk about membership. And then we'll talk about uh, just how we are to live the culture, I guess we could say, of 
the church. And today, I wanted to talk about preachers and preaching. Preachers and preaching is kind of borrowed from Lloyd. Now you know why I was in Lloyd-Jones the other night if you were in Sunday school. But I just picked up his book, Lloyd-Jones, uh, Preachers and Preaching, one of the most famous books ever written on the subject of preaching. By the way, a show of hands, please. How many of you have read John Piper's little book that has often been called a stick of dynamite called The Supremacy of God in Preaching? Have you read that? Lift up your hand, please. If you have okay, just a people. Good. Um, I just realized I just, this is going uh, uh, to be a total fail because we don't have it on the bookstore. But that doesn't matter. If you guys have Amazon, hopefully you have Amazon Prime like I do. So those books arrive like in a day. Okay, because, you know, hope deferred makes the heart grow, you know. Uh, so, you know, it's like that. Get that book, The Supremacy of God and Preaching, and read it and meditate on it. And if that does not, you know, sort of get you to think, you know, about preaching the right way, nothing will. Everything I'll say here will fail. Like Stephen Lawson said, he read that book on a plane ride. He said he got off the book, he walked the terminal, he said he was walking in circles. He didn't want to, he felt like exploding after reading that. It's that powerful, that potent. It's very little. It's not intimidating. It's a tiny little book, but I guarantee you it will change the way that you view preaching. That's not what I'm doing today, but it does, uh, it does sort of supplement what I'm doing, and that is to take what preachers are to do and what preaching is and to get us to all think rightly about what this is all about. It, it just lends to a greater issue, and that is the role of the church in the life of the believer. Notice what Paul says here. Paul saw himself as a fellow worker with the members of the church, Corinth, and for what purpose? For your joy. That is the whole purpose, of, and that's the whole philosophy of pastoral ministry and of, of, of biblical preaching because today, brothers and sisters, there is a great confusion about the local church, about preaching, about membership, and stuff like that. I mean, just this year, just this year, I can give you numerous emails that I've received from, from people all over the place, just all over the nation, all over the world, actually. I got people emailing me from Africa and different places and uh, seeking pastoral counsel. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, no problem. I have no problem with that. But you know what the obvious question is, right? Where's your pastor? <laughs> Why do you need to go outside of your local church to go find pastoral counsel? Again, nothing wrong with that, but it lends to the idea of like, well, first of all, and the first thing, I, I just got an email recently from a, a guy. I don't know this person. I've never met this person. And he says, you know, I have all these issues. <laughs> Out come this long email about all these issues going on in his life. And I'm thinking, where is your pastor? I mean, this is stuff you should be going to him about, Right? Uh, why are you seeking out a pastor you've never met, you don't know personally, and I understand, you know, he's listening to our sermons and things like that, fine, it's a, it's a blessing. I, you guys get the balance I'm trying to strike here? It's not that I'm saying, no, I don't want to help somebody or I don't want to counsel you, but at the same time, also, it's like, where is your commitment to your lo lo local church and where is the local church? And a lot of times these people come back to me and they say, well, I can't find a good church right now. And I say, well, that's your first problem. <laughs> First problem is find a good biblical church, go to it, commit to it, be part of it, get ingrained in it, go to the pastors and submit to the authority of that local church. It's that simple. And so there's just so much to be done in this area. Uh, but he here's the deal. I also want to point out something here in terms of 
using Paul as a paradigm for preaching and preachers and ministry and church. How can we do that? Because obviously, the Apostle Paul here is talking about and reflecting about his apostolic ministry. Now, I'm not an apostle, (laughs) and definitely there's areas of Paul's ministry that we cannot, even if we wanted to, we cannot even emulate. It's not even meant for us to try to emulate. So, for example, today there are no New Testament prophets and apostles like in the book of Acts. Today we are not expected to perform the signs of an apostle. We we are not expected to have apostolic authority in the church. We are not expected to receive divine revelation directly from God for you. We are not expected to have seen the risen Christ one of the qualifications of an apostle. We're no longer laying the foundation of the church, in other words. But now we are building on that foundation and we are propagating and we are promoting this apostolic philosophy of of church. And that's found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, where the apostle Paul tells his young protege pastor, Timothy, tells him, Timothy, the things that you've heard from me and seen from me and among many witnesses, these things commit to other faithful men who will in turn commit it to others. There you go. There's the principle of duplication. That's how we go from the apostle to an apostolic emissary like Timothy. And then by way of extension, to other elders, other pastors. So it's laying down these pastoral principles for having a biblical church. But what about this text? What about this passage right here to help us to understand? Because the whole burden of my sermon today is this, how you view the pastoral ministry and particularly how you view and how you interact with preaching with preaching, because I expend a lot of energy up here. I, I, I breathe out a lot of air out here. This, this is an exercise, and we'll get to it, but this is a serious thing that I get up here and do. Pastor Lynn comes up here that we do week in and week out, and a lot of times I'm left wondering, is everyone benefiting from this the way I want them to benefit from it? I think the vast majority of you guys, you do. I, I, I can see it in the way you think. I can see it in the way that you interact with me. I can see it in the way that you're talking about theology and teaching in our church. I can see it by the way you're following through and you're still remembering things I preached about weeks ago and things like that. And praise God, it makes pastoral ministry a lot easier when the church reciprocates and, and follows through with the preaching and benefits and profits from the preaching, and we'll actually get to that very point. But let's just look at this text. First of all, I want to point out uh, several things from this passage here in 2 Corinthians about preachers and preaching. Number one is the invested authority. The invested authority. Look at the text with me one more time. He says, I call God as witness to my soul. That's very customary for Paul. A lot of times, the, the Apostle Paul would call God to be a witness to him for something that he is trying to stress, that he's not lying about, etc., etc. I call God as witness to my soul, watch this now, that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. Now, this demands that we get a little bit into the Corinthian situation because we're kind of left hanging. What? 
I mean, this is one of those verses that you need to know the background of Corinthians. What's going on? You go from 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then even in between those two letters, um, the majority of, uh, of commentators conclude there's also an, a non-extent, that means a letter that did not survive, called Paul's sorrowful letter, a letter that he wrote to the Corinthians prior to the writing of 2 Corinthians that we no longer have that he makes an allusion to time and again in these books. So something is going on in Corinth, and you know what it is? When he says, I wanted to spare you, and for that reason I did not come to you again, what he's saying is that there was an issue. What's the issue? The issue is that there's a brother that was sinning against him directly. And so you see that in chapter two, chapter 2 of this book. Just look down with me for a second. He says here in verse, oh, I don't know, uh, verse 5, but if anyone has caused sorrow, it has, it, he has caused sorrow, not to me. So there's that one individual causing sorrow. Really at Paul, what Paul is saying is, not really the, I'm not really the true victim here. In some degree, in order not to say too much, to all of you. And so this division that arose between Paul and this person, actually, Paul sees the big picture. This will have a negative effect on the body. And then we're in serious territory here because this person's been put under church discipline. Verse 6, sufficient for such a one is the punishment which was inflicted by the majority, i.e. of the members of the church. So that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a person, such a one, might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. What's the point? Then he goes on to talk about how you should restore that person. What's the point? The point is this, is that that person has gone through church discipline. Apparently, church discipline worked. It produced enough sorrow, enough repentance that was evident. And now what is fitting, what is right, is that the church should restore that person back to the fellowship so that, as he concludes in verse 11, so that we will not be taken advantage of by Satan. Because the devil is always in the details. Oh, man, especially in the context of church discipline. Be very careful how you, how you walk uh, through the process because oftentimes things can be very messy. But for the Apostle Paul, he understood his authority and he brought a certain sobriety. And so what Paul is basically saying here is, look, instead of coming to you with the tone of discipline, I spared you. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Later in the book, he's going to say, do you want me to come to you with a whip? (laughs) Or do you want me to come to you with the gentleness and the affection of Christ himself? You see what he's saying? Don't make me come there like a like a disciplinary parent, you know? I don't want to give you your whooping, but if you don't repent, that's exactly what you're going to get, basically is what he's saying. But he makes a very careful qualification here when he says, not that I lord it over your faith. Oh, that's very important. The Apostle Paul understood completely, totally, the sobriety of leadership. Now turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Focus here. Focus. 1 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 1. To understand how he saw himself in light of this ministry, he knew this sober view that he had of pastoral leadership, and he, 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 he often spoke of it, but he says here in verse 1, let a man regard us in this manner, servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, that's what I want to focus on. 
See, the pastor is a steward of the mysteries of God. That's what we are unleashing week after week here. We are, we are uh, uh, we, we're explaining, we're expositing the mysteries of God, and that comes with a great cost and a great reverence should be given to it. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I should be examined by you. This is how, uh, this is a Paul's understanding of the judgment of his ministry. He says, or by any human court. In fact, listen to this, I don't even examine myself. What is he saying? What he's saying is the judgment that matters is not yours. It's not mine. Watch this. It is God's. He says, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet by this I'm not even acquitted. What he's saying is that as I think about it, the, as far as I can tell, my conscience is clean, but even by that point, that doesn't matter because the one who examines me is the Lord. The Lord. Uh, that is to be correlated, therefore, with another chapter. If you look at chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, chapter um, excuse me, no, uh, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, this is what it's all getting to. Paul sees himself in light of the great and final eschatological judgment, the great final eschatological assize that will come at the consummation and at the end of the age when every minister will have his works tested. Chapter 3, verse 14, if any man's work which he has built remains, he will receive a reward. But if any man's work is burnt up, he suffers loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire, do you not know that you, plural, the church, you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you, or you could literally translate that, among you, if any man destroys the temple of God, i.e. through false preaching, false teaching, false doctrine, false ministry. If anyone destroys, tears down the temple of God, the church, God will destroy him. Wow. Wow. Be careful, you preachers on TV that I watch that are teaching all kinds of craziness. And tearing down the church. Everywhere you go, there's havoc everywhere. You seen the American gospel? I mean, Havoc everywhere. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. I mean, I can go on and on and on talking about Paul's view of pastoral ministry, the severity, the sobriety of it all. But he makes this careful qualification when he says all of that authority, all of that sobriety, all of that invested authority in the leadership of the church is not for the purpose of lording it over you. He says, not that we lord it over your faith. And so there's a careful balance here. I think today there's so much confusion regarding pastoral ministry, partly because people don't trust pastors. As the boy at, at uh, Lowe's told me, I was buying something at Lowe's. He says, oh, I don't like pastors. I said, oh, I am a pastor. <laughs> he said, oh, not all of them. <laughs> I think many people have that view. Uh, I just heard that view at UNT. Somebody told me that exact thing. I don't like pastors. I don't trust them. I've been hurt. I've been abused, et cetera, et cetera. That's why people are hesitant. And they maybe are victims of exactly what Paul is talking about here, a heavy hand, a pastor that only and always wants to come down on everybody about mainly where you fail. That's no way to lead. 
Problems will always persist in the church. How do you know a good pastor? A good pastor is a pastor that can go to sleep even in light of all the problems in the church. If he's up just paranoid about what's going on in the church, chances are he's trying to fix everything. He hasn't learned yet. You can't fix everything, right? Faith is not forced. You can't force it on the people. Faith cannot be forced. It is fostered. That's what Paul is trying to get across. You can see his heart. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, or I can just read it to you. You can really see the genuine heart of a shepherd. This is true, biblical, holy ambition for the church. This is what it looks like. When Paul says, he sums it up all right here, in perfect, beautiful balance, he says, Galatians 4, 19, my children. So first of all, it is a filial relationship. It is a parental relationship. It is a relationship of that of, of a father to a son of a parent to a child. He says, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. What an amazing use of blended metaphors here. He goes from being a parent to being a pregnant mom to, uh, to actually understanding the church as being formed. And I think of like the church being formed kind of like a baby's taking shape in the womb, you know? It's like that's how it needs to be. And what is the goal? The goal is Christ-likeness, conformity to Christ. I want to move quickly to the next point, and that's this. Not just the authority, but what is the goal? The goal is expressed in the next phrase if you go back to Corinthians. He says, we are workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. That phrase there. We are workers with you for your joy. You know what's amazing to me? You read every commentary, every commentary on this, because I've read it, and a lot, all the good ones, and they all talk about how this is, the, you know, this is the thrust of Paul's pastoral ministry with the Corinthians. And I went to all my pastoral manuals last night, the good ones. You know, I looked at all the, well, I, won't, I guess that'll be throwing them under the bus, so I won't name them, but a lot of the famous ones out there, I pulled them out, I stacked them up, and I went straight to the, the Scripture index, and I looked, boom, first, uh, Second Corinthians, nothing. Next one, come to Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 24, nothing. Next one, nothing. Nobody dealt with this verse. I couldn't believe it. I was so disappointed. It's like, it's like disappointing. You would think that they would capitalize on this passage because it's so immense. Brothers and sisters, it's so immense that we understand that what we are in the pursuit of in church is joy. That's what sermons are for. Basic theology here, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into it. If coming to the church with a heavy hand and wielding your authority, if that is not an end to itself, what is it for? If the pastor's authority is not just to discipline the church. What is the authority for? It's a catalyst for joy. And notice that Paul does not back away from his authority as if authority is bad in and of itself. There's a book written for pastors. It's called Putting Pastors in Their Place. Sound good, right? And the, the book is written to tell pastors, be a pastor. You know, <laughs> you know you're, you're, you're not the church therapist. You're not the church psychologist. You're not the church handyman. You're not the errand boy. 
You know, you're not the church comedian, you're not the church, you know, physician, you're not the church guru, you're not, you know, you're not a help, self-help, you're not a life coach. You're a pastor, and this is what it means to be a pastor. It's good, good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And part of that book is about don't be afraid of the authority that God has invested in you. Because I think, you know, that's something pastors all struggle with. We all struggle with uh, the precise nature of the hand. We don't want to have a heavy hand, but we also don't want to be delinquent. We don't want to skirt our responsibilities. We don't want to ignore the issues. See? Now turn with me in your Bibles because how do we arrive at this? How do we get to joy? Colossians chapter 1. Verse 25, thankfully, the Apostle Paul gives us another text on this so that we can understand the nuts and bolts of all of this and where he's going. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 25, we'll read all the way down to verse 29, as you can see the the text there before you, what it is, because this is really his paradigm for preaching. This is maybe the most important text and all of Pauline theology on how to be a preacher, pastor, teacher, expositor. Beginning in verse 25, of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship of God bestowed on me, watch this now, for your benefit. In other words, we have to establish a link between second core and Colossians, what's the, what's the link? It's this right here. It's this, uh, it's this uh, phrase, this, uh, this prepositional phrase, for your benefit. Is that what it says? For your benefit, yeah. Literally, ace humast literally means for you all because it's plural. For all of you. And that's, what, uh, that's what's in, involved here, this... Uh, this use this prepositional phrase it gives the advantage to the church so that i might fully carry out the preaching of the word of god wow what will benefit you having received a ministry god called you to the ministry god endowed you with the ministry god gave you the gift to preach to teach whatever to lead all of that What's it all for? It's so that you would benefit. How are you going to do that? By the fullness of the Word of God. Now, I want you to understand something here. This word here where it says that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. It's an interesting phrase uh, in the Greek. Plerosai ton lagon tu theu. It's only one word. Plerosai and what translators have done there with that is they have supplied an interpretation like this to carry out the preaching (laughs) okay to fulfill the preaching of the word of god that's fine that's a in the context that's exactly what paul is kind of getting at it's what it's all about it's about preaching the word and 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 then when we, we ask what is the substance of this what is the essence of this what is at the very heart of all of this because he doesn't just give us the act of preaching he gives us the content of the preaching and in giving us the content of the preaching he gives us the substance the center the essence of it all which is what Christ that is what is he preaching the Word of God for the mystery which has been 
hidden in the ages past, generations, and has now been manifested to his saints. And then parenthetical statement, to whom God willed, this is you guys, this is the saints, this is the church, ready? To whom God willed, so God willed to make known to you what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, so much here. And I had so much here, and by way of notes that I'd taken down, but basically what he's saying is that the essence of all of this, the center of it is how the mystery, how the gospel of Jesus Christ, and listen to this now, the logic of union with Christ and how that was for ages past hidden, Old Testament, and in this age revealed, manifested, New Testament. And so how we go from an intertestamental gospel of Christ in his people is the substance, the essence, the heart of it all. That's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Because by preaching Christ and him crucified, he was preaching the very essence of the revelation of God. That's what we bring to bear in a sermon. That's what the sermon is for. That's how you're going to benefit. That's how you're going to be a fellow worker with me for joy. Now, fellow worker. Back to Colossians. How does he do this? Verse 28. Isn't it remarkable? Sum up the totality of your message and your preaching with the smallest word that you can. Ready? Him. Wow. Love that. That's it. Just sum it up, Paul. You can't get any more, you know, terse than that. We proclaim Him. There's a whole universe of meaning in that admonishing every man. Now we get into these participial phrases that explain the means through which he will do this. Admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete or mature in Christ. You know, brothers and sisters, you hear preachers say, the word joy is not bound to circumstance, right? It's not like the word happy. Happiness. Happiness comes from the word happen chance, which means you're happy depending on what happened to you, <laughs> okay? Your circumstances. Joy is different. Joy is not rooted in circumstances, right? Then what is joy rooted in? And why do I bring that up? Because the process of becoming complete in Christ is often painful. It often can make you very unhappy, you ever go through a trial? You ever go through a trial and go, man, this trial is making me so happy. <laughs> you probably haven't said that, and for good reason, because you're suffering. You're suffering. You're going through tribulation. 
It's crushing, right? And so maturity to Christ is a it's a, it's a matter of conformity. It's a matter of sanctification. It's a matter of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that is not an easy thing. It's not easy for me as the preacher. It's not easy for you as the member. And now I want to add another layer to this. Look at verse 29. For this purpose. For what purpose? For the purpose of presenting you complete in Christ. And I think that's an already not yet idea, meaning we are maturing now. That's a progressive dynamic. It's ongoing. I remember watching uh, J.I. Packer, a recent interview that he did. The guy looks old as dirt now. God bless him for everything he ever wrote, except for a couple stuff with Catholics or whatever. Man, some of us, we just don't let that go. <laughs> some of you don't know what I'm talking about. But, uh, but, but, God bless J.I. Packer for all. He's helped me so tremendously through the years. And, and uh, J.I. Packer, you know, he's like in his 90s and he's doing this interview and he's sitting there. He's just this old man. And he, he says, you know, what has amazed me is the older I've gotten, the closer I've gotten to my end, the more aware of how wicked I still am. I'm thinking, oh, great. <laughs> what we have to look forward to. So Paul says, for this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. That's so, that, brothers and sisters, is so wonderful. Don't assume power mightily working within him is a supernatural dynamic. Matter of fact, I think it's not. I think it's not necessarily bound to some supernatural phenomenon in the life of Paul. I think it's very much in the mundane. I think it's the power, as he says elsewhere in the Corinthian letters, it's the power that is manifested primarily in his weakness. So when I am weak, beat down, struggling, you know, in the dungeon, Rome, Beat down, you know, Caesarea in a dungeon down there somewhere in the sewer of the jail. In that weakness, God's power is manifested through the Apostle Paul. Not just a supernatural, always a miraculous hilltop, mountaintop experience. No, no, no. It's in the trenches that Paul felt the power of God. But he also labored. You see that? For this purpose, I labor. And then he uses this word here. Are you ready? I want to make a big deal out of this word here he uses. The word is striving. And the Greek word is agonizo. And agonizomai, he is striving within himself, right? And in the process of striving, there is an agony. There's an agony to preaching. There's an agony. There's a... There's an agony that comes with, yeah, so there's an agony in sermon preparation. I understand that. Brothers that have preached, they know. I know uh, one brother got up here. He preached once. Great. I made him preach back to back and was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you do it more than one week at a time. <laughs> it kind of catches up with you. <laughs> yeah, and so there we are. MacArthur calls it the tyranny of Sunday. 
here it comes. Oh, you ready? You never get over that, by the way. The turmoil, the agony, the anticipation, the anxiety of delivering a public message, public speaking being the number one phobia in the world. John Piper was terrified of public speaking. You guys know about this? He would run out of class in high school. When they tell him, you got to stand in front of the class and read your book report, he would run. <laughs> I get it. I was part of a men's school of ministry back in the 90s. Or no, that was, well, 99, 2000. But part of our curriculum was to go down to Santa Monica, open air preach with Ray Comfort. And some of the guys, and Ray Comfort, they would, they would just call us from the, from the stool. Okay, you know, brother... Uh, Josh, come on up here. Where's Josh? We look over. He's running through the crowd. No joke. Like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> it's terrifying to stand in front of people and talk, and that's all I do. Why do you think I'm getting so old? There's more than that. There's the inner turmoil of born out of his inadequacy. More than all of that, brothers and sisters, is his burden for the church as we've read, in labor pain until you are conformed to Christ. A deep, heartfelt desire to grow up. Paul was not satisfied to know that people were professing Christ if people were not progressing in Christ. That's what he couldn't sleep with. It was not enough to know God you had to grow in the knowledge of God, as Peter says. And each time, each word of exhortation, each sermon, each exposition, brothers and sisters, every Sunday school, small group, men's study, ladies' study, every stated meeting of the church is an opportunity for the riches of Christ, for the, for the glory of Christ, the mystery of Christ, the, 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 the stewardship that we've been giving to handle these mysteries of Christ. It's an opportunity for you to feast on them and grow thereby. That's how God is going to present every man complete in Christ. So, that's my sermon. Hope you liked it. Last point. Ready? The last point, we go from the, uh, we go from the, 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 the authority, and then we go to the goal of preaching, and then last of all is the ideal reality. The ideal reality is captured in the last phrase. For in your faith, so this is examination time, brothers and sisters. In your faith, you should be asking yourself, do I in my faith, are you standing firm? See that? The circle is not complete. The joy is not complete. The ministry is not complete until you are standing firm in your faith. And if you're standing firm in your faith and we have reached the ideal situation, we have reached the ideal reality, the Word of God is going to profit you. And so what I have for you, what I have left here is a series of uh, points of advice how you could do this. How can you, with me, pursue joy together? Uh, how can you agonize with me about this? <laughs> Where are the people that are agonizing with their pastors? 
about what's being preached, about the weight of sanctification, about the glory of God, about the mysteries of Christ. Where are the people doing theology with their pastors? Many, I'm, praise God, my church is full of people doing that. So I want to give you various points. Ready? Number one, prepare for church. These are rocket science points, okay? Prepare for church. How do you do that? Number one, ready? Adopt the right view of church and church attendance. Understand that your presence here among us is important. It is not trivial. Nothing should stand in the way of it. There's one reason why you do not come to church on Sunday. Ready? Are you ready? Write it down. There's one reason only that you do not come to church on Sunday. Are you ready? You have been providentially hindered by God. That's it. What does that mean? You're sick. We don't want you anyway. If you're sick, we don't want you. Okay, I'm trying not to get sick, okay? Man, when I get sick, everything goes haywire. But if you're sick, you're hindered by God. Something happened, major, death in the family, emergency travel, you got to go out of town, something big happened. Okay, got it. You've been hindered by God. You don't need to tell people why or what the excuse is and blah, blah, blah. But there are many people who do not allow that one thing to be the only thing. Do you understand how many excuses I've heard over the years of why I wasn't at church? Oh, I was discouraged. I just wasn't feeling up to it. Oh, my child had a birthday party. So we did a birthday party of bouncing house, bouncy house, instead of church. It's Christ's church. And you got a bouncy house at your house. Christ's church. Like that should end the sermon right there. If you believe that, I told somebody once, Jesus Christ will be in church today. Will you? Because he's the one who said it. Two or three are gathered in the midst. There I am right in the midst of them. When two or three are gathered in my name, I am in the midst of them. Do you believe that? Then what are we doing at home twiddling around? You can't have that. You know, brothers and sisters, I am not a Sabbatarian. I am not a Sabbatarian. I, I, my theology is non-Sabbatarian. But man, sometimes I, it's kind of like I'm not uh, pre-trib either, but I wish I was. <laughs> I wish that we're going to get whisked out of here before it all goes bad, right? I wish I could be where MacArthur's at. I can't. But I wish I could be Sabbatarian even to lay on you the law to say, you didn't go to church today, you Sabbath breaker. But I don't see that. I don't see that in the text. I don't see that being in harmony with the new covenant. Oh, what does Psalm 110 say, brothers and sisters? Psalm 110 says, in the day of your power, your people will freely volunteer. See, the heart this, this is it's just a slight difference in legalism, antinomianism. Antinomianism. 
So I just lay that on you. Our church, we all need to adopt the right philosophy of what it means to go to church. Stop coming to church late. Do you know what time we meet at Heritage Grace? Do you know that when I got saved at 19 years old, I knew nothing about church. Just ask Keith and he'll tell you, my stepdad. All I heard was first service at Chuck Smith's church was at 7.45 in the morning, and I thought, oh, that's what all Christians do. So I'm up at 6 a.m., I'm watching sermons on TVN. Remember, I just got saved. <laughs> I just got saved. So I would watch, I would wa- I shouldn't tell you who I would watch. <laughs> I would watch all these crazy people on TVN before, well, you know, um, anyway. Uh, some, some redeeming value there sometimes, you know, but ultimately, I didn't know that at first. I just thought it's just the Bible, but the Bible, the church before the church. If I can get it in the morning before church, I get it. Remember, this is before iPhones and iPads and none of that. Can't stream anything. And then I go to church 745 first service. I didn't know young people were not supposed to do that. I always wondered, why is it me and a thousand gray-haired old people in there? I'm not, you know, Chuck Smith's church was, what, 10,000 people, something like that? And just me sitting there, Keith, remember Keith, <laughs> and a bunch of old people. But I love that 745 service, man. Just get up, you get up. Do you know what time our church meets? We meet at 1.30 for Sunday school. Do you know that some people think that that's odd, weird, and you're still coming late? Shame on you. Like the Apostle Paul would say, brothers and sisters, in this, I cannot praise you. I can't praise you in that. You're late to a church that starts at 1.30, 2.30. What's wrong with us? Stumbling in here 10 minutes late for worship, 10 minutes late for service. Impossible. Unthinkable. Prepare for church. That's why I wrote this down. Prepare for church. That begins Saturday night. Don't do things on Saturday night that you know are going to make it challenging to go to church in the, in the next day. I want to say the morning, but man, I'm telling you, we have no excuse. Don't be scrambling on Sunday. I don't know what anyone's going to wear. I don't know what I'm going to wear. I don't know what I'm going to eat. I don't know what. Determine that on Saturday. Be responsible. God is a God of order. Prepare your heart. Get ready for church. Think of what you're about to do. Be ministry focused. Come with a prepared heart to give, to love, to be affectionate with the brethren, to pour yourself out, to be spent for the church. Guard your heart, brothers and sisters, against irreverence, apathy, and self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. The problem with the church, I've heard this too many times. We can't connect. I'm not connecting with anybody. I don't fit in. I don't fit. You know what the problem is? Every single time, and I won't back off from this, you're not, enough, you're not like Jesus. You're just not like Jesus. That's your problem. Why don't you connect with people? Because you're not a slave to every man. That's why. Why are you having problems clicking with people at church? Because you're not their servant. Because you won't gird up a towel around your waist and go and wash your feet. That's why you're not connecting. 
I promise you, beloved, if you become the servant of all, you connect like crazy. You won't have problems connecting, serving, finding ministry, things to do. If you say, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to serve that person, I'm going to wash their feet, I'm going to pray for them, I'm going to love them, I'm going to find out who they are, what they're doing, what they need prayer for, what they need help with. Number two, remove distractions. We're talking about how do you benefit for your joy in the sermon. Number two, remove distractions. Okay, number one, kids. We are a... We are a, we're a, a, a church that we love children in the sanctuary. There's my girl right back there. And as long as she's quiet and behaves, she can stay in here. If not, she gets excommunicated <laughs> right out the back. Don't let kids distract you. Parents, be on your guard. Don't let your kids time the bathroom break right in the middle of the best part of the sermon. Make sure they go before that. You know, these little things that kids, man, they... They know how to work it. Okay. Um, distractions in your own mind. Wandering thoughts. Be careful, brothers and sisters. There's two people preaching every Sunday. Me and Satan. And I'm preaching to you the word of God, and Satan is preaching to you the word of condemnation. The word of distraction. Satan is telling you, you don't do that. You're not good enough. You shouldn't, you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. You don't deserve it. You're not here for that. You have no meaning. Nobody likes you. Nobody loves you. That word's not for you. The pastor thinks you're a joke. Huh? You ever heard that sermon before? Two people preaching. Tune him out. Tune him out of your head. Break through. Listen to the Word of God. Jesus said, be careful how you listen. Be listening for God in the sermon. Uh, I heard a pastor say, God told him to cut down his pet tree. I said, no, God did not tell you that. That is a figment of your imagination, my friend. And we had this debate. Anyway, that's not the voice I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about as the Word of God is being unleashed in the congregation from the pulpit, as the exegesis, the exposition is going forward, listen for the Spirit prompting in your heart, convicting, touching, putting His finger, His thumb on things. Listen for that. Don't be distracted. Or you can miss so much. That leads to the next thing. Engage the teaching. Number three, engage the teaching. Be careful. We're so apathetic. I just read an article. You know what it said? Because of technology and the use of social media, the average person today in America gets impatient in 15 seconds or less. Wow. You know, go to, I do it. Go to the drive. Come on, man. It's, I got to go. We are so impatient. Come on, I want it now, quick, instant. The best things are not instantaneous, beloved. They take time. So engage. Be patient. Don't wander. Discipline your mind. Prepare your heart. Prepare to learn. Don't be passive. Don't come to church and put it into cruise control like you're just kicking back in here. There should be a sense in which, remember, 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 the pastor all leading up to this moment, this pivotal, what I call monumental moment 
in the church when the word of God is about to be unleashed, this monumental moment, he has been agonizing the whole way there. I call it giving birth to the baby. Up to this moment, it's all labor pains. (laughs) And I've seen pastors that have a hard time with preparation. It just eats them up. You know, worship's going on. They're over there fumbling their notes, you know. I understand. I understand. Join me in the agony. (laughs) To go to church and learn today. Oh, to join the pastor in agonizing. Yes, because there's weight involved in what we do. Okay, I've got 15 different points. Last one. Walk in obedience. All theology... All theology is for lifeology. I've never heard the word lifeology, just made it up, like it or not. I think it's better than orthopraxy. I wrote a book, the editor came back and said, You use the word that doesn't exist. Orthopraxy. I says, Yes, it does. He says, I found it in a medical journal somewhere. <laughs> the reformers used it to talk about practicing your orthodoxy. Put into practice. Recognize the grace of repentance, brothers and sisters, in your turning from sin. The sermons are not meant to condemn you. They are meant to awaken you. And the sweet path of repentance is the only thing we got. What else you got? But to humble your heart, repent and turn. This is exactly what Jesus told the church to do. You remember? You grew cold. What's the answer? Therefore, repent and do the first things over again. So beautiful, so simple, and so potent, so powerful. Recognize that God does not call us to minimalistic Christianity, but to maximalistic Christianity. And I know that it's, it doesn't always come with, it doesn't always come with emotion, but I'm just saying, don't settle. You know where I get that from? There's exegetical backing to that statement. You know where it's from? It's when Paul says in Philippians, pursue the things that are excellent. Where he says, seek to excel more, more, Paul says. And so that means more, more means you cannot say enough, enough. We've got to pursue more, obey more, conform more, mortify more. Put complacency to death. Be careful that you do not become complacent in your Christianity. Oh, God, may He awaken us the moment that we're becoming complacent. Church is ho-hum. This is what we do. This is how we do it. (sighs) Is that you today? Don't be complacent. Put complacency to death. Be aware of it. And last of all, Look for God, for, listen, listen, look for gospel empowerment when you apply the Word of God. Don't look for legalism. You know, this is the danger of a list, as I'm giving you a list. But this is the danger of, I've just do X, Y, and Z. No, be driven by the gospel. Learn to think in the logic of the gospel, what the gospel says to do, how the gospel says to handle things. That's the only way we make it in any area of our life. Amen?